Welcome to Full Scope, a podcast with two guys in their 20s, giving their perspective on the games that we love, the headlines in pop culture, and the meaning behind it all. I'm Rose Winds of Burns, I'm my kind of heart, Savon Morris. Last episode of the year, how you feeling, man? Pretty good, man. It's a lot of great topics, as, as always, as well as it is a beast at the topic. <laughs> Chill. Hey, the one time you put together the, 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 uh, the topic list with Alfred, I was like, hey, man, he's outdoing me. He's outdoing me. I, I got to step up my game. <laughs> Never. Once <laughs> you're a thousand, it's, it's not going to make a difference, Willa. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have a lot of topics to get into today, as usual. And we're going to have a few NFL topics, um, also just a, a sports moment of the year, um, as we do for our last episode of, of every year, and also um, a couple, a, a, one album review, and just kind of our top three favorite albums of the year. And then for the second half, we're going to do um, Taxi Driver, which when Savon sent me the, the eye emoji, he was like, yo. <laughs> you, 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 you're trying to end out with a bang. I, I don't know if it's his favorite Martin Scorsese movie, movie but you guys are going to have to wait to see. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, true. I'm not going to comment. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, but it started off with um, our, our first topic with, you know, between Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers, who deserves MVP more at, at this point of the season. Um, you know, currently these are the two leading candidates in what is um, kind of widely considered a two-man race. Um, Derrick Henry is also kind of finding his way into contention, but, um, but for Rogers' case, as he as he is in contention for his third MVP, Packers just had an eight eight point win versus the Panthers, and his two touchdowns on their first three possessions included um, his league leading fortieth touchdown pass of the season. And for for, for Mahomes against the Saints last Sunday, he went twenty six of forty seven for two hundred fifty four yards, three touchdowns, and no interceptions for a ninety two point zero passer rating. Um, and, and it seems as though like with with what Rogers is doing. Even at this point of his of his career, I would kind of still give the edge to Rodgers, um, as he kind of has you know fewer weapons than Mahomes, carries a larger responsibility, and um, you know it's just astounding that he's still being able to do this. But Mahomes obviously is at the peak of his powers, and the Chiefs are having just a fantastic season as the defending champs. Um, but to you, kind of like, what are your thoughts on who deserves the edge for MVP consideration between Mahomes and Rodgers now? I'm going to you know set my bias. Normal answer, <laughs> but I'm still going to say Aaron Rodgers. I think you made a great point uh, about him having less weapons than uh, Patrick Mahomes, and not even that. I think what Aaron Rodgers is doing this year is something that we see so regularly, but it's not highlighted because we have a new fad. Not saying Patrick Mahomes is a fad. I mean, he's one of right. he's a, he's going to be considered one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time at the end of his career hopefully if everything continues to go the way yeah exactly the way that we see it but if you look at the the pass attempts the way Aaron Rodgers does his in less attempts than um uh the Patrick Mahomes in the Kansas City Chiefs they're more pass happy kind of team we're more of a run Mm -hmm. run first open up the pass and then we'll get into things that we need to do so um, and then his quarterback rating is higher than the Patrick Mahomes. And then also his completion rate rating is higher than Patrick Mahomes. Qu- touchdowns, you know, okay. All right. We're not going to talk about the yes. touchdowns. But he does have this year in Aaron Rodgers. I just think what they – and then he was out. Devontae Adams was out for like four or five weeks, so we didn't have a top wide receiver. So the things mm-hmm. that Aaron Rodgers does on a year-to-year basis – it's incredible, and we so, exactly. and that, sometimes we lose. We, we've that. gotten so accustomed to it. Yes, exactly. But I do think Aaron Rodgers dealing with what we had to do on the offensive side, dealing with the new uh, uh, offensive alignment that we acquired in the offseason, wide receivers, young guys still get acclimated to what Aaron Rodgers. What he's done, I think, is, is phenomenal. Uh, mm-hmm. Super Bowl or no Super Bowl after this year, I think 
uh, Aaron Rodgers should get the MVP. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And, and I mean, you look at both these two teams, they're kind of in similar positions. Rock, the Packers are the first, are the first seed in the NFC currently. The Chiefs, you know, um, 13 and one, um, you know, having a lot of close wins, but still kind of at the top of the food chain in the, in the AFC. The Bills are having a phenomenal year and they could be a threat to them, I think, in January. Um, in terms of just where the two teams are placed currently standing, um, like, what, do you feel as though the, the Packers should be the favorites in the NFC currently, or, or do you think it's one of those things where this NFC race is, as always, kind of like still kind of like wide open? It's wide open. You know what? Yeah. I, I think when it comes to the Green Bay Packers, sometimes we have a phenomenal first half, and then second half, we're non-existent. Offense, look at the, the Panthers game. We didn't score. Right. We didn't score the second half, I don't think. We 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 went up. We had a great first first half, and then he got sacked four or five times late um late in the third and fourth quarter, and then his quarterback rating went down. He did not have a good second half. The offensive line did not have a good second half. So that's multiple games when we even lost to the Colts in overtime. Yeah, and then uh, you guys kind of had the lead for most of that game. Then the Colts made a run. Exactly, and then we we were beating them, and they came back on us, and then they they won in overtime. So it's just like those things I'm highlighting more. And not saying the other like the Saints or any other team has you know, their faults and flaws, but it's just like mm-hmm. when it comes to Green Bay Packers, I know them more than did any other team. And we're it seems like we're not a second half team. We do not finish games regularly, regularly enough for my for my taste. Yeah, um, transitioning to to most interesting Week 16 game um, for for me, t- Titans and Packers really stands out as this is you know a prime time matchup between the NFC front runner and then the AFC South leader. Um, and the Packers, three December wins, they've allowed just 204 rushing yards on 54 carries, 3.8 yards per attempt, and um, their top 10 run defense, their top 10 run defense will be put up to the test with Derrick Henry's aggressive and potent running attack. Um, Add along with, you know, it doesn't get talked about a lot, but Ryan Tannehill has also had like the best season of his career with 31 touchdowns and, and five picks. Um, there have already been a, a few games um this week you know the Dolphins and Raiders that was a, a very entertaining game down to the wire with mm-hmm. you know Ryan Fitzpatrick coming in um also the the 49ers upsetting the Cardinals um but to you kind of like what is your um most interesting week 16 game left hmm. this is interesting you know I'm going to say Indianapolis and Pittsburgh and, and I say yeah. this because now Steelers have been sliding yes that's that's the main point you took the words right out of my mouth they have been sliding. They're on a three-game losing streak. Three-game losing streak. And they Juju, were the, stop dancing. Right. Juju, stop dancing. <laughs> Bro, they were the only undefeated team left. And yeah. now you have 0-3. What does that do to your mental? What, what mental yeah. state are you guys in? I know the fans were on, like high, like on cloud nine. And then I saw a couple fans break their TVs because they lost. <laughs> so, <laughs> Cincinnati. so I'm not just in a matter of weeks. <laughs> exactly. So now I'm like, this has to be a pivotal game for these guys going into the playoffs. You have to win out. There's no, you have to play your starters. I don't care. Don't, don't low management, none of that. You have to play your starters. Indianapolis Colts is one of the top five defenses in the NFL. So it's going to be a, a good game. It's 0 0 yeah. right now, but I do think it's, it's going to be a good game. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and as we're headed into just, you know, the, the final weeks of the season and then the playoffs coming up, um, is there a particular storyline that, that you think is the most interesting? It, it, would it be like, 
possibly because obviously the Chiefs they're headed to to defend to, to uh, defend their ring. The Ravens um, can possibly get in, and Lamar Jackson has looked phenomenal down the stretch. Um, Tampa Bay with with what Brady's doing, um, you know, recently just just kind of trying to have have a strong uh, finish into the postseason, and then Breeze coming back for the Saints. Like, is there any particular storyline that that you think may be like the most important heading into this postseason? I besides anybody getting into the the playoffs, I think this is the headline because we saw this last year. Does Derrick Henry has enough steam to get them to the Super Bowl? Does he have enough? Can the, is the running game that potent to get them to the Super Bowl? Is Ryan Tannehill that good this year to get them to the Super Bowl? Because last year yeah. we thought, wow, okay, Derek here is running the ball great. Ryan Tannehill is playing. He's on a tear. On a tear. The wives, you know, AJ Brown is killing. Like it's just a lot of things going good for them. Defense looks good. Malcolm Butler looks good on the defensive side. Then they crumble. So my biggest, I think the headline is, can the Tennessee Titans, with their running game, we see all these stiff arms, all these killing people with stiff arms at Derrick Henry. Derrick has 200 yards. He's about to eclipse 2,000. Is there enough steam with the running game to get to the Super Bowl? I think that's my, that's my, uh, my, my tag, storyline, story yeah. whatever, yeah. Because, I mean, running in the, I mean, even with what the Browns have been able to do, running the ball effectively in, in the postseason in January, that's going to be able to, to win you games. And that's the one thing that the Titans have over a, a lot of teams. That's definitely going to be fascinating to see how that will play out. Um, transitioning to college football and the the, the CFP um, uh, matchups for, for this New Year's Day, and just, just kind of like the thoughts on the key factors and elements. Um, for Alabama and Notre Dame in the Rose Bowl, the Tide, you know, clearly have the edge and overall talent. Um, but these two have the best offensive lines in college football and two of the best um, front sevens on the other side of the ball. Notre Dame will likely try to kind of like slow the game down. Alabama usually prefers to, to speed things up with Devontae Smith and, and Mac Jones against the vulnerable Irish secondary. And then for Clemson, Ohio State in the Sugar Bowl, you know, this is a rematch of last year's semifinal Fiesta Bowl. You've got the, the top two quarterbacks available for the 2021 draft. And then Clemson's pass rush versus the offensive line of Ohio State will be one of the key matchups to watch. Um, but so you kind of like what are your thoughts on the key elements for the Rose Bowl and Sugar Bowl on, on New Year's Day? Oh, that's this. This is going to be a doozy. All four of these games, well, two of these games, are going to be extremely, extremely strategic. So I'm going to start with Alabama Notre Dame. Alabama has been exposed multiple times in their secondary and their defense. Period, allowing an average of what 21, 28 points a game. Ole Miss went put up numbers. We went toe-to-toe with them in the SEC Championship, and it's a, a smithery and other teams that have put uh, numbers up. So the best thing about Alabama, which is very rare, is their offense. Right. I don't see – I, 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 I kind of see if Ian, if Ian Brooks is on his game, I think they could go toe-to-toe because now everybody's seeing, well, Alabama's defense is not as strong as it's been leading on people to be, especially playing all SEC teams. Now they don't have warm-up games or people to plug in games to get them right. Everybody sees the flaws. So now, okay, we can throw at them. We can, we can, we can go man to man. If they do, t- we can do a lot of things against that that defense. The defensive front did not get pressure on on um, the Gators at all. So right. it's like we see some 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 flaws in this defense. And I know yes, Notre Dame as well. Notre Dame defense is not as strong, not as strong, but I think they can go toe to toe. I think it would be like the SEC championship. It'll go down to the wire. 
who has the ball last and who makes the most minimum mistakes. No mistakes. It's hard for Alabama. The one thing I do probably, uh, probably, uh, applaud Alabama for is they don't make many mistakes. Yeah. They don't Mistake free football. They don't beat themselves. They don't beat themselves. <laughs> no penalties. They're disciplined. I love that. And then, okay, let's let's transition into Clemson, Ohio State. Clemson is going to blow Ohio State out. Just I'm just going to call Whoa, it. So you got it flipped. So you got it flipped because most people think it's going to be Alabama blowing, blowing out Notre Dame, but you think it's going to be Clemson just being looking like the superior team. Yes. Yes, okay. for sure. Because Clemson already beat Notre Dame. Yeah, and Notre Dame beat Clemson with a uh, it went with four overtimes with a freshman, a true freshman quarterback. So I don't want to hear about that. But <laughs> Clemson <laughs> is going to beat Ohio State. Ohio State has not had as many games as Clemson has. They're not as well or machine. Even when Trevor Lawrence was out, they still look look good. I think yeah. Ohio State cannot match up with Clemson, especially with Trevor Lawrence at full capacity. I don't think so. But for Notre Dame, I think they, they'll take that SEC championship game. They'll examine it like they already have and see they can throw on Alabama. They can, they can get mismatches on Alabama. And they can – well, only thing, I don't know if they can run a ball because we didn't run a ball against Alabama, but we definitely threw on them. <laughs> we definitely, definitely threw on them. <laughs> but but, but yeah, both games absolutely. are going to be interesting, though. Yeah, for sure. And, 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 I mean, it's just with the competitive balance – of what we're seeing with college football. Some people are saying like, okay, we, if we get another Clemson, Alabama national championship, like this is not good for for college football. We're just, it's becoming predictable. Like, what do you, what are your views on just kind of the competitive balance on like what we're seeing with, with some of the elite teams? Like, do you think it's bad if we get another Clemson, Alabama matchup, or it's one of those things where we're just seeing two elite conference, uh, two elite teams in their respective conferences, just kind of like always staying at the top for, for these last several years. Uh, I think it's definitely a business, and I do think yeah. even though those reps are from like Pac-10 or whatever, they can construct those games to where they, you know, it's all a money marketed business. So if they get exactly. a, a continue to get a series from Clinton and Alabama. That everybody's going to tune in. That's how we had what um, LSU and Alabama in the SEC. I mean, in the national championship one one year, which mm-hmm. was super yeah. crazy because they met each other like twice. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, yeah. that was incredibly. Um, it's all money marketed business. So a lot of people will want to see that, but I do want to see another team step up and get in there. Now, if they're a, they're a top tier team, then get in the playoffs, get in the college playoffs, get in the playoffs. Now you have a team that hasn't been there in a while. Well, Ohio State was there, but before that, they weren't there for a while. Notre Dame hasn't been back since, what, 2013, 14, when they lost to get to Alabama? Yeah. Eddie Lacy, Eddie Lacy had a field day. Crazy, but no. Um, yeah. I mean, it's it's all the business, man. Absolutely. Um, transitioning to the most interesting uh, bowl game outside of the um, college football playoffs. Um, you know, to, to me, Oklahoma, Florida really stands yes. out in the Cotton Bowl because you know you have the contrast of Oklahoma having so much momentum coming in, winning seven straight games, mm-hmm. and there's um, six straight Big Twelve title. Then you know, Florida's coming off of two straight losses, but they were, as you said, they were able to push Alabama to their furthest limit in the SEC championship. And now having Kyle Pitts, um, their star tight end opting out, and Kadarius Tony possibly as well, kind of leaving unanswerable questions for for some of the matchups. Um, but to you, kind of like, what is your most interesting game 
outside of the college football playoff. I'm gonna give it to Texas A&M and North Carolina. I think te- I, I think Texas Texas A&M should have been in the college playoffs. Yeah, a lot of people were clamoring for that. A lot of people wanted to, to see them in. Notre Dame. I don't think Notre Dame should have been in there. Um, they don't belong. But I do think they'll give Alabama a run for their money. But I do think Texas A&M. So Jimbo Fish, what Jimbo Fisher has done, even of even this is even this is pandemic college football, this altered college football experience this year. What he's done since he's been at Texas A&M is really incredible. The the way he recruits, the way he gets players to buy in, it's incredible. They're number five. They only lost to one team, and that's Alabama. They still yeah. lost to us. But that's that's another story. That's another story. That's another story. <laughs> but they're there. I think they should have got the opportunity to play in the college football. Now you go to a hot North Carolina team who has two phenomenal running backs. One is from actually here in Navarre. Um, oh geez, why did I say his name and I forgot his name? Jeez, <laughs> I put the, the he's here from Navarre. I don't know his name. <laughs> Dwayne Carter. Dwayne Carter. Uh, he's from Navarre. Um, Born and raised, man. Great running back. Two running backs for North Carolina. They got a good high-power offense. Obviously, they don't have any defense. But I like to see what these two air raids does. Can Mon really be the, the top-tier quarterback everybody is clamoring on he could be? I think he has definitely has potential, and he's been there for a long time under the system. So I want to see the both of these quarterbacks go at it and both of these running backs because C.J. Spiller's a little brother, man. Chief. Man. The boy's a beast. Goodness. The boy's a beast. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and now transitioning to our, our favorite um, sport, sports moment of moment of the year. Obviously, this has been a, a different type of year for sports. Right. Um, you know, with, with no fans and, and that type of just different element and just so many adjustments, games being canceled, games being um, postponed to, to different uh, dates. But that, to me, the 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 NBA Finals with the Lakers Heat Game Five, where LeBron and Jimmy Butler just going, you know, mano a mano with you know LeBron trying to close out the series with forty, and then Butler having a 30 plus triple double with 47 minutes and a dramatic finish. I mean, that was like almost similar to a Paul Pierce LeBron one-on-one where just elite players are going back and forth with it. And, and Jimmy Butler's giving his all to keep Miami in that. And I feel like that was a really like palpable, a palpable um, entertaining type of moment. Right. Um, but to you kind of like, what was your favorite uh, sports moment of, of a just a really different year? I, I know it didn't live up to the hype. Well, one of the <laughs> preliminary bouts lived up to the hype with, Nate Robinson getting knocked out. <laughs> but no, Mike, not Mike Jones. I said Mike Jones. Who? Mike Jones. Mike Tyson. Who? Mike Jones. Mike Tyson and living legend, right. Pensacola, yeah. Florida, Roy Jones Jr. That yeah. I know it didn't live up to the hype, but seeing that. It was a moment. It was crazy, man. We've always said we wanted to see Roy or Mike Tyson, see them Mike Tyson fight again. I know it was about, but Roy still looked a little, little, little slide on his feet on his feet. He was, he he was definitely making a miss. Yeah, but um no that that moment there just for boxing history and just just all around sports history man that's incredible to see those two older guys <laughs> two older guys <laughs> you want a rematch twenty twenty one rematch no, Roy looked like nope <laughs> don't do it <laughs> Nah, it was it was Mike was ready. Yeah, Mike was like, oh man, that's funny. And then Roy Jones just sitting there looking like a little lost kid, like, bro, I don't want to do that no more. Don't make me do that no more. But that was yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Um transitioning to our album review, um, with hers, I used to know her and just thoughts on how she um kind of gets out of her trademark trademark sound more to her own process. Um 
looking at her just as an artist, you know, this is the type of artist that's a moda, but also um, a guarded R&B artist with songs that focus on um, kind of a supernatural perspective. And in this project, she's dealing with songs of loneliness, tension, and the King relationships with audible desperation. And um, in one of her standouts of this project, Take You There, she says, feel a little guilty. I feel like it's written all over me, trying to find a balance, trusting you, trusting me. Um, but what are your thoughts on kind of the, the developed fan base that she's um, that, that she's kind of like been able to establish and, and also how she's not afraid to take a stand and chances with her developing music? You know, I love I love her story because she came on the scene as low key as possible. And she just right. always had these faraway pictures, these like images of her, of her shape or whatever, her physique or whatever. But she always says she didn't want her, what she looked like. I don't know why she, I don't know. Like, girl, you beautiful. Like, call my phone, call my line, <laughs> and I'll be on time. No, she didn't want, uh, she didn't want her imagery to take away from the music. And I, I understand that because some people get infatuated of who you, what you look like instead of, the, you know, the passion of your music. And I think Beyonce said it the same way. But I love the way she came out. Now she's owning everything. Now she's 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 reached every part of her musical uh, musical uh, stages of her of her career. Like going yeah. and being unknown, wanting to be unknown, and let the music rise up. Now she's being more seductive. She's being more confident. Did you see her on on uh, Janae's song? I think it was uh, yes. Chalambo. I forgot what the song. Called. Yeah, Chalambo. Um, what's the song called though? Was it BS? Yes, it was BS. Yeah. She slid on that. Killed it. That's a different side. Made it, made it her own song. Exactly. And it's a different side I've never seen from her. I haven't listened to her, no pun intended. I haven't listened to her for, like, I don't know. I stopped, you know, I'm a big fan of um, her old two projects that she combined, like Focus, Losing, I Won't, You, you know, like to fact. And then for this album, I listened to it like oh when it first came out, and I was I, I won't say I was unimpressed. I was like, okay, that sounds good. It's a dope vibe. It's a vibe. It's a vibe album, and I love what she's talking about. But I haven't listened to her. Her latest song though, um, I think it's um, is it Damage? Yeah, I think it is Damage. It's Damage. It's a, it's another. Yeah. It's Damage and another song. I was like, oh okay, okay, her. <laughs> Okay, but I love outside of the music, well, it's going to be, I love her portrait, a spoken word. Yes. Yo, she's dope. She strings words together like no other person can. Well, I mean, I won't say all that because I can do that. But (laughs) (laughs) But no, I look. If I do say so myself. (laughs) Right. No, I see her pull up into a lot of like spoken words and just kill it. Like kill it. Yeah. I love love the way she's like, she's grown in her music, grown of herself and just like owning everything now. And that's the thing, because like I, I, when you think of like younger artists, I, and just like using a comparison, like SZA, I feel as though she's just a breakout star. She's going to be on, you know, the, the top forty. She's going to be on every list of just you know some of the favorite songs of the year. Her, she seems more like restrained and is, is not going to like take as many chances. She's not going to put out maybe as much music. Like in the next five years, if you look at a, a, a career like SZA and her, like do you feel as though? both will kind of be in different positions just because of the approach they take and how much music they put out? You know, SZA doesn't put out much music either, though. SZA doesn't... Yeah. She's, she's been restrained by TDE. It's more like features. It's more like features for her. It's not like she's going to put her own type of singles out as right. much. I think their career is a bit different. I think SZA is in the, in the, in the way that uh, her has already been in, right? 
Because when her first came out, like I said, she didn't really, she didn't really do much. She just did the music, and her music would start popping. Now she's on Nickelodeon. Now she's she's on these other TV shows and all this stuff. She's really embracing all what comes with being a, a top tier artist. So with SZA, SZA is like really low key. Like she's low key. Like she, she like even though it's different, it took them a while to drop that song. Yeah. But I think SZA has that. But I think she's been held back by TDE. And that's the difference right. between, because yeah. I don't think they allow her to drop as mu- much music as she wants to. If it was up to her, she would probably drop music more often and frequently. Yeah, that's what it seems like. It seems as though she wants to, to, to put out more. She wants to, but TD is not having that. They want to yeah. make sure. They can, they're doing the same thing they did with Kendrick. Mm-hmm. They're making sure, because Kendrick wasn't a guy. I think it was uh, Tayrock. Tayrock was the guy before Kendrick. And Tayrock, right, yeah. he... I saw this interview. I know I'm saying this because it all ties together with TDE. Tay Rock um, was like, you know what? I'm a, it's Kendrick. I'm going to let Kendrick go. So Tay Rock pulled back and then they pushed Kendrick more than anybody on TDE. But it's crazy. Kendrick's not even, Kendrick, I don't think Kendrick's with TDE anymore, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. but with that, I'm saying, <laughs> coming back, I think they're trying to be strategic with SZA because she has a distinguished sound. And they're trying to market that sound the right way. Even though people are wanting to hear more music, it has to be the right music. Same thing with Bryson Taylor. We wanted more music. He gave us more music, but it wasn't the same music he did back with Trap Soul. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, but Um, I'm sorry. I think I answered your question. In five years, I think their past will be different. I think... Very different. Yeah, it's going to be different. And not in the way they drop music, but the impact they had with their music. And I think, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, with her is already at that point. Mm. And, and now transitioning to our top three favorite projects of of this year, mm. um, it, it, it's it's really tough to say because you know the, you know some uh, out projects we expect to drop, some didn't. Right. Um, to me, I had Kalani's. It was good until it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Big Sean's The Troy Two mm-hmm. and Benny the Butcher's Burden of Proof. And for Kalani's, it was the, the, the sophomore project we've already talked about. You know, I, I saw like a lot of growth out of her the range she has, even Lexi's outro, just something like, like we, we really didn't expect. Um, Big Sean's Detroit too, he just seemed more confident. He just seemed like more of his of it, of in his element, in, in his zone, um, needed time to take off and really put out something very polished. And then Benny the Butcher's Burden of Proof, I just, it was just hard to skip a, a track. It was just really hard to skip a track. He Every every song lyrically was potent. Everything that he did in this project, um, I really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Um, so you kind of like, what were your personal three favorite projects of this year? Um, it's going to be one, it's going to be Blackst. Um, it's Black, it's called No Love Lost. I mean, yeah, yeah No Love Lost. He's, uh, man, the, his, it was more like an EP, but I think I, I'll consider it a project, man. It was a different vibe. It had that West Coast vibe, but it has its own, like, I don't know. It was, if you have chance, just look up, it's BL. B-L-X-S-T, and then it's called No Little yeah, Lost, man. Great EP, great album. Um, another one is going to be um, uh, Rex Live, Lex Ri- Rex, uh, Rex Life Raj. It's California Poppy 2. Fire. Okay. Uh, man, I love him as an artist, bro. And he played football at Boise State. Dude, cool guy. Um his 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 project, bro. It's like a different sound. Like it's really dope. So that's that's number two, and then All the right. third one. Ooh, that's gonna be tough. Ah, that's tough. Third one, third one, third one. Who done something? Jeez, 
And uh, it's tough to put to it's right. tough to put together three in this type of year. <laughs> and I'm trying to do like different. Okay, I'll go reasons. I'll go reasons. New beginnings. Okay. Reasons. This album, bro. <laughs> he's so slept though, and he's from TDE too. Reasons. Oh my goodness. Reasons be spitting, bro. Like it's really he, bro. He be spitting. If you got time, check out a song called yeah. Extreme. I'm going to check out all three of these. I'm going to check yeah. out all three Isaiah, of these. Isaiah, Isaiah Rashad is also, no, Isaiah Rashad, it, he TDE, but he don't drop no more music. He just does speak. Yeah, so It's Isaiah Rashad, um, Isaiah Rashad, Jed, and uh, Reason. It's called Extinct, one of the best songs on the album, bro. I play all the time. It's, yo, it's like, and Jed slides on it so, bro, Jed slides on it so it's crazy, funny. bro. Like, Jed. <laughs> Lyrically, lyrically, cadence wise, I don't think nobody touching Jid. It might Smino might no. be up there. Smino's yeah. quite different too, but Jid, Jid, <laughs> that boy slide different. But yeah, those yeah. are my three. Absolutely, and, and, and I mean heading into twenty twenty one in terms of just like some of the music expectations we have of certain artists. Is there anything in particular you're looking forward to of maybe newer artists or more established artists? for projects to put out or, or just, is there anything in particular that you would say for 2021, you're kind of looking forward to the most in, in this music industry? Drake, you better drop your album in January or I'm mm-hmm. fine. You in gotcha. Toronto. I'm coming. <laughs> um, you're going to take the fight. <laughs> exactly. I don't care if I get stuck there. Pull up. I can find you. I can find where your house is. Okay, you got snipers and all. Um, Drake, <laughs> J. Cole, stop playing with us and drop the album. You, you yes, gave us singles and, and left. Um, and then you dropped the uh, <laughs> and you dropped the, not a diss track, but a an enlightened track, uh, Snow in the Bluff. You Snow in the Bluff, three yeah. Three singles this year, and you told us you would drop an album. You drop the album, drop the album. Stop playing with us. Come on. I don't think any of the established artists want to put put one, especially in a COVID year. I just feel as though they wanted to wait to just to just see the landscape of a of a new year. Well, he dropped um Drake dropped the uh demo the Darkland demo tapes. Yeah. yeah. And then he, he dropped, like three freaking videos and then he dropped the I think the smash of the year, baby. That was I think that was a bop of the year probably. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. It, it, it definitely is gonna be interesting to see how how this um how this next year plays out. Do you think Kendrick's gonna drop one? No. Nah, Kendrick's yeah. not dropping. Kendrick's is Kendrick, Kendrick, it's gonna be a while. Kendrick's is I think I read something that he's he's starting his own label mm. with another another either producer or something. I read I forgot the other producer's name, but he's leaving TDE to start his own label. And I think he's more I've done everything I want to do in music yeah, right already. now. So I want to like help other people be able to do that. I think that's what wave he on right now. I think he on some Jay-Z stuff right now. Well, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with our Taxi Driver review. Welcome back to the show. And now we're getting into our Taxi Driver review. And to start off with the overview, Taxi Driver is a 1976 American psychological thriller film directed by Martin Scorsese, written by Paul Schroeder, starring Robert De Niro, Jodie Foster, Cyrillic Shepard, Harvey Keitel, Peter Boyle, Leonard Harris, and Albert Brooks. Um, this film was placed in a decaying and morally bankrupt New York City following the Vietnam War, telling the story of Travis Bickle, a lonely taxi driver who descends into insanity as he plots to assassinate both the presidential candidate from the woman he is infatuated with works and the pimp of an underage prostitute he befriends. It had a budget of $1.9 million and brought in 
28.4 million in the box office and had a 96% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, it was nominated for four Academy Awards, including Best Picture and Best, Ac- Best Actor in Robert De Niro and received the Palme d'Or at the 1976 Cannes Films uh, Festival. But what are your what were your thoughts on just this being the type of film that is a must-see um, film for movie viewer traditionalists and it just being so hard-hitting uh, and compelling? What a movie and why am I watching this movie? Good movie, but why, <laughs> why am I allowed to watch this movie? It was really good, though, from Jodie Foster. Me first seeing Jodie Foster... As a, like a, as an actress, like I didn't know who she was before this. Um, Robert De Niro, young Robert De Niro, still yes. like became iconic after this movie. Um, it was just a whole like in Martin Scorsese, man. He was still a young guy, even though he still had white hair, probably bushy eyebrows. <laughs> Martin, <laughs> one of his greatest films ever directed. His one is great. Top three. Top, it's top three, three. Yeah, that's exactly what I was saying. It's a top three Martin Scorsese yeah. film. Yeah, this is really dope. And I was just blown by because it had every, like, it was different. First of all, like, who who highlights a Vin... <laughs> who's a taxi driver who likes watching porn? Like, who who highlights that in a movie? That's like Pretty Woman, like, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> a, little, a little more vulgar. But um, no, I thought it was a great film. Great film, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, like, looking back, obviously, we were we've reviewed, like, I think, four or five of his films this year. And this one is considered like one of his crowning achievements. Um, you know, Goodfellas is another one, Casino. Is, is there one Scorsese film that when you think of Martin Scorsese, you think of that film in terms of what he's conveying and what he's best known for? Ooh, top, we're just doing the top three films? Or I mean, just like maybe one, it, it can be like a couple, like or it's maybe like a, a film in particular that makes you think of Scorsese when you see it. Oh shoot! I mean, that's tough, man. I was the first that popped in my head is Casino. Yeah, it's different vintage, different vintage points from different from the Jew quotations, Jew, which is Robert De Niro, and then um, just the whole like the whole. I think Casino was definitely one how he shoots, and he definitely gets every perspective and vantage point from each character, and he squeezes them out like like squeeze every inch. (laughs) Every element <laughs> of this character to make yeah. sure it's conveyed on screen. I think Casino is definitely one of those. I mean, he has plenty more. Like, oh yeah, beast. But Casino is one I watch like all the time. Every time it's on TV, and I know you probably hear me say this a lot, Wilson. But Casino, that's one of my favorite movies. Oh yeah, it, it, it's it's an impeccable uh, type of film. Um, transitioning to to our first topic from one to four stars, what would you give it? Um, to, to me, this was a clear four-star film as it, it was the epitome of a riveting and unnerving film. Um, Scorsese's direction combined with just an upper echelon type of neuro performance um, is the standard with what we've um, come to expect from Scorsese's type of films. Um, to you, like, what made this in particular like a, a four-star, four-star type of film? One, and had young Robert De Niro in it, and it's yeah. the favorite line that made him iconic. That's one of the... Like, this made him a, like a real big star. Yes. And I'm not going to say it. I'm going to wait to that part of the segment. Um, but it just had that different element to it that we never seen. Like I said before, who highlights a Vietnam uh, war veteran who likes to work <laughs> for <laughs> faithfully, um, as well as he's a taxi driver who tries to assassinate the president because of yeah. somebody he saw. And I think it was in a movie. Um, but it made you look back at I feel as though for for 
for movie viewers at that time in that era, it made you turn around and just stop and be like, okay, De Niro is a, is a star. He's a bona fide star. He's no longer just like like any other actor. That film just took him to like a different dimension. Exactly. And then we we saw him his range most of like who who looks in a mirror and like you know and just comes. I think that wasn't even um, scripted. He mm-hmm. did that on his own. So who looks in the mirror? Yeah, see, exactly. Like, that's his range. Like, who brings that, like, comes out of that? And right. just, it just reminds me of Heat as well. Like, some of those wasn't, like, scripted. Some of that stuff is just, I mean, I don't know, man. Robert De Niro's a beast. Look, man, I, I know there's a lot of De Niro great films. Heat is still my favorite De Niro performance. Yeah. I, I, um, it's yeah. still my favorite De Niro performance. And, and I know it's it's it seems crazy to say because there's so many great ones. But looking back at that one, that diner scene, that was just, that was a Hall of Fame type of performance. Yes. And then just like, okay, we're not talking about Heat. We're, we're not talking about Heat. We're not talking about Heat. We're just talking about De Niro. I just had to bring it up. <laughs> heat, heat, is, heat is for me like Casino is for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a, it's, it's, it's a good point too, bro. Because, man, that scene, just demeanor, just, oh, no, it just, oh, bro. It don't matter about the action. That scene will forever be a legendary scene. Absolutely. Um, transitioning to, to favorite character, um, for me, it was Travis as he's the ultimate anti-hero as his isolation, forcing him to dwell on negative thoughts and, and combining him, believing in his cause just culminates into him succumbing to just his inner demons in a way that brought to, um, that was brought to life spectacularly. Um, but to you, kind of like, who was your overall favorite character in this one? Oh, man. Um... I know I took the obvious one, but... <laughs> I'm going to have to, like, piggyback on just Travis. Travis Bickle, man. Yeah. I'm going to just have to pick it back because... No, I don't want to... I'm going to say... I'm just going to stick with Travis. I like Travis because it highlights the effects after the war, how you see the world differently now, and then you have... I mean, it's just like, you know, just like with football players with CTE. Um, I don't know. It was just... It just gave you, like, the insight of what uh, war veterans go through after the war and how they are placed back in society. And I think one liner, I think um, when I was looking at it and I was reviewing it for the Wishcom and I, I can't find it in my freaking notes. Uh, oh no, he's a loner. He's lonely, forgotten man, desperate to prove that he's still alive. So that's I crazy. Yeah, I was like, oh wow. So <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's good stuff though. And just realize what they go through on a daily basis and what they'll do to make sure they're war, especially for a girl he never met. And then I, f- I forgot, it wasn't even the president. It was for the Senate. Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, Travis. Travis, you're crazy, man. Um, transitioning to most memorable scenes um, at Travis um, visits Bet- Betsy, where Travis comes into the um, uh, Palatine Volunteer Headquarters and asks um, Betsy out for coffee. Um, I got to get organized where Betsy is impressed with Travis and his honesty during a date at a, a dinner. Um, Travis supports Palantine where Travis um, expresses his feelings about the field of the city with his political um, passenger Palantine. Um, a sick passenger where with the Martin Scorsese cameo where Travis sits quietly as his passenger played by Scorsese describes what it would be like to kill his adulterous wife. Um, Travis wants to help Iris where Travis eats breakfast with Iris at a dinner and thoughtfully gives her advice about life. And then finally, um, Travis is a hero um, where Travis fantasizes about being praised for performing heroic acts throughout the city. Um, to you, kind of like, what was your overall most memorable scene looking back at this film? When the cameo from Scorsese. Scorsese. Oh, yeah. That was I'm it. 
It reminds me of like when Quinn Tarantino does his cameos. Yes. It is so awkward. And like in Reservoir Dogs or, or, or Pulp Fiction. <laughs> Pulp Fiction, River Dogs, or uh, even um uh Desperado, yeah. um, Django. Like is his cameos be so funny. And I'm like, <laughs> why did you write yourself in a script? <laughs> it's so selfish. Why do you do that? You could have you could have added, oh, you just want an extra check, huh? Okay. <laughs> But no, we see I, your game. <laughs> yeah, we see your angle, Quinter. Uh, you know, but no, I think uh, Scorsese's cameo was definitely like you wouldn't expect him because he does look like he belongs in the in the film or just like in that scene. Because um, hearing him talk, Martin Scorsese's voice is very distinguished. Yes, it is so weird. It just reminds me hearing him play um, uh, Shark Tales. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? He was like the, yeah. the car wash boss or whatever. Yeah. Just hearing his voice was like super weird. Like just not seeing his face was just hearing his voice. But no, I think that was like one of my most uh, memorable scenes him getting that cameo. Yeah, definitely. Um, Transitioning to most memorable quotes, um, I had days go on and on. They don't end. Um, there never has been any choice for me. Here's a man who would not take it anymore. I'm God's lonely man. And finally, anytime, anywhere. Um, to you, was there a, a quote in particular that made you kind of like go back and, and think of it more um, as we look back at this film? Am I am I going crazy? Didn't he say, are you talking to me? Yes, are you talking to me? Yeah, yeah. okay. Me? I know it wasn't crazy. I haven't watched Taxi Driver in a minute, but I remember him standing in the mirror and be like, yeah, you're talking to me? You, you're talking to me? You're talking to me. Like, and he used to use that in all his rest of his movies. Like, <laughs> you talking to me? I think that was like the best. And then the context behind that is just like him finding himself, like, you know, like, I don't know, it's weird, but I think that was the best quote. Like, and then that really, like, literally gave him longevity in the acting, <laughs> acting world. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, we have another, you know, kind of younger performance and with, with Iris and Jodie and uh, Jodie Foster and what she did, like looking back at a film like this for even Jodie Foster, who has had a story career as well, um, kind of like what did that just show you in terms of just her as, at a younger stage in her life, being able to kind of shadow um, a greater performance in Robert De Niro and, and, and th this type of era and that type of film? It's crazy. She looks so weird now that she's older. I'm yeah. sorry. That was not... <laughs> I mean, it's different seeing her that young. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's different seeing her that young, and I did not think like she was going to like you know look like that older. It's interesting, but no, for her like Jodie Foster has has a crazy uh, career. It's just having mm -hmm. these different actors in this movie really like gave you perspective of who was going to be a star, who wasn't going to be a star, because right. we we've always seen films with there's low, you know, supporting actors or supporting roles, and they really don't go as big, you know, as, you know, what we think they're going to. But Jodie Foster in this movie, she she's killed the game. Uh, Robert De Niro definitely killed the game. Yeah, I'm going to say Martin Scorsese because he has a cameo. He killed the game. <laughs> but no, just, like, we never see those supporting actors or young actors grow up to have this luxurious um, acting career. Yeah. So what Jodie Foster did and the right putting her in the right roles kind of solidified this. But her seeing in this movie with Robin De Niro and all the other actors really gave you a perspective of uh, maybe she can be a, a definitely a good star, and she definitely was, definitely is actually. Yeah, absolutely. Um, transitioning to what did you like the most about the storyline? Um, for me, just just how the film captures the utter aloneness um, at the center of its premise, and, and Travis being one of the most you know 
alienated of movie heroes, the aspect of that human condition and the feeling of isolation being conveyed was um, a very real element that made this so connectable. I mean, if this movie was put out in this era where we kind of are in the age of people feeling isolated at some points, even in the pandemic, um, I feel like it, it would even be like more relevant, but it, it's still a relevant film looking back at now as he felt isolated and felt as though nobody really understood him. Um, to you, kind of like, what was your favorite part about this storyline? I think the same, to be honest, I don't want to piggyback up what you said, but just given that highlighting what war veterans go through on a daily basis, what they'll do to have themselves like just feel stable, not even right. knowing her and just trying to feel like <laughs> make a better world for her. And then Iris too, um, this this hooker woman, I'm sorry for my language, um, just to make a better life for him. Just like he's selfless, but in a way he's just trying to make sure people see him as a living person. That, right. you know, I have flaws, but I'm still a living person. Just highlight what the veterans go through, I think, is my biggest point in this movie. Yeah, absolutely. Um, transitioning to our last topic, 10 years from now, do you still think this will be um, a watchable and intriguing film? And I definitely think it will as stylistically and, and um, cinematically, it, there's just a kinetic realm it stays in. And it's one of the best overall movie experiences that's ever taken place. Um, the decadent visuals and storytelling are, are already a given in all of um, Scorsese's films, but the sheer intensity with the city life of New York in the 70s just felt um, vividly real. And that's another element I was thinking of, because sometimes movies, the city that they're made in are just like, it's so important. I feel like for it to be placed in this type of setting in New York just made the film even go to another um, element and dimension. Um, to you in particular, what do you think will still make this, as obviously like the years have gone by with, with this film coming out, like in 76. Um, what do you think will still make this a, a watchful, intriguing film even another decade from now? The iconic Robert De Niro, the iconic Martin Scorsese, um, and the iconic Jodie Foster. Um, yeah. And there's more actors in it that has played multiple in multiple. But, but that's the trio we all think of. Yeah, for sure. And then we get the the famous line, you're talking to me. We see it in Foster. I mean, was it was it Foster? Meeting the Fosters or Fockers? Oh, Fockers, yeah. Fockers, yeah. We, we, you're talking to me like we get that in different movies. We get them, the face like you just smelled somebody's behind. <laughs> and even if you hear that sound, you know he's crunching his face up. It's iconic. It's yeah, super yeah. iconic. And you have to put this in top three Mars Scorsese's films. And I mean, just the storyline itself a Vietnam War veteran, taxi driver. And you, 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 you should get hit hooked right there. Like, okay, well, how did they let a war veteran be a taxi driver? He got to pass some type of test. You got to be yeah. in the right mind to drive a taxi and have other people exactly. in the back. So that should just draw you in right there. And then, I mean, the trio, bro. Like, yeah. You talking to me. <laughs> and, and I mean, but before we close out, with Scorsese, he put out The Irishman last year. That was kind of a divided reception that it, that it received because some people thought as though it was you know too long and, and you know the aging um performances were still excellent with Pacino, Pesci and, and De Niro um but for like Scorsese as he goes along in his career is there another like type of different film you want to see him make or do you or, or do you still just want to see like the A-list type of actors that he can bring in in some of his like maybe traditional films? I think we I don't think I want to see anything from Martin, but Martin. I mm. think he's in his career where he doesn't have to do anything else. Right. He doesn't, well, not do anything else, but do any other genre or do anything, do other movie anything different of his, you know, his wheelhouse. Mm -hmm. So 
I want to see. I think the only movie, mm, Family Man with Der- uh, Robert De Niro when he was used to be a mob boss and he's in uh, the witness protection, and then it has uh, what's the older gentleman that played in? Um, oh, geez, Tommy, Tommy, what's his Tommy name? Jones? Tommy, yeah, Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah, he plays in it. He's the the CIA guy or witness protection guy. That was like the family movie. But everybody used to kill people in that movie. So it wasn't really a family-oriented movie. <laughs> Moving. So, well, we even said that the town made us made us think of the family man because there's just like so much killing with exactly. a family face center. So it's not, I mean, he has that family aspect, but he's not going to make like a true family movie. <laughs> Never. That's not in his wheelhouse. So I want to see Martin Scorsese. That's what I want to see. I want to see his ideal MO type of movie. Nothing else. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, that wraps it up uh, uh, for today. I'm your host, Wendell Burns. And before I wrap it up, Savon, an- another great year. Have the best co-host in the world. I, I always have to mention that. And, and it's uh, can't wait for-, for next year, man. For sure. Hey, if nobody knows, Wellington does, does everything. does everything. I just show up. <laughs> Chris Maurice, edit that out. <laughs> hey, <bye. laughs> well, that wraps it up for today. I'm your host, Wellington Burns. Love my kind of art, Savon Morris. This has been Full Scope. See you next year. Peace.